0: good morning good afternoon wherever you are legends thanks for jumping back to the Dills journey podcast today we have an awesome guest by the name of tim silverwood so he started take three for the sea which is an awesome uh non-for-profit organization that encourages you to literally just pick up three pieces of rubbish every time you go to the beach um and it's transformed into this huge non-for-profit that's been going for 11 years now and tim spoke about his journey of how he started it and it was super interesting um, on a surf trip all the way up to the gold coast from central coast and he met some inspiring humans and he thought well if they can do this amazing feat then why can't i and started take three for the sea and it's an awesome story and i don't want to spoil too much so without further ado here it is you Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thanks Thank you, mate. Thanks for jumping on today. Uh, super excited to hear the story of Take 3 for the Sea and a bit about your story and how it all came about. And Yeah, thanks for jumping on, mate.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Nice to be here.
0: Yeah, exciting times. Um, so way they like to start the podcast is by asking you, what is the weirdest thing about you or something that's very down to earth that not a lot of people know about you? Because obviously, you know, you're in the media space a lot and there might be something that, you know. <laughs> is yeah.
1: I think quite often if you saw footage of me or you've come along to an event or an activity that I've been on stage um, talking, you'd be thinking that maybe I'm an extrovert, that I really like getting out there and Mm. being the center of attention. But in fact, in real life, I'm a complete sort of introvert and don't need or desire a lot of people around me. I tend to like my my crew, my friends, my family, my co-workers and colleagues, but yeah, when it comes to actually using that platform, be it media or a stage, then I realise the the benefit in getting up there and presenting with all that energy. Mm. So I'll do that. I'm like an extrovert for hire, as I often call myself. Yeah, so okay. <laughs> then I'll go and retreat back and spend a lot of time, you know, on my own and just yeah, with my thoughts, just trying to formulate. The best approach moving forward and then right okay I've got it and I'll go back on the stage and I'm good to go so that's probably something that people don't really um necessarily know
0: about me yeah it's funny hey like there's a, I've spoken to a few people about the same thing like they can come across on social media or in that um public speaking space that the these huge extroverts but really they're like introverted trying to channel that energy into the stage and create that sphere but like I'm the same I need time alone otherwise like I think you can you almost don't identify yourself if you're always around other people and i don't know you just guess you always need to be around people and then when you've got no one it's just like pretty lonely so you got to learn to love yourself i guess in that aspect did you go through that stage or you've always been pretty
1: i'm pretty pretty steady pretty stable um yeah. i think my main thing is um yeah i'd probably spend a lot more time alone and and not interacting socially with people were it not for my wife and so i think where you can mm. address those weaknesses that you have is in then joining forces with someone who has the strengths in those other areas so my wife's the other end of the spectrum super social loves having people around yeah. and walk into a room with a big smile on her face and just establish a rapport and a relationship in a heartbeat um and i can too like when i'm like I said, when I know that there's a means to an end, I can definitely channel all that and go. But yeah. then
0: I'll be the one saying, "Can we go now? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm done here. My cup is full." Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The classic. Oh, I'm just gonna sneak out. Of the <laughs> old party. <laughs> um, mate. So what was young Timmy like? like? Let's say around you know year eleven, year twelve. What did you want to do?
1: Yeah, I was pretty um, set up by that stage with my desire to do uh, environmental work. So okay. actually, what happened when I was in year 10, and I was at one high school on the Central Coast, and they didn't have enough interest in geography to do year 11 and 12. So I was staring yeah, down yeah. this prospect of not being able to continue with what was my probably my favorite subject, mm. this subject that you really are you know, learning about people and the planet and how everything interacts. That was, I think, when I first got insights into you know, the global plans for sustainability, like the big Rio summit in 1992, all these things that were like, oh, wow, there's actually a collective of people at a very high level coming together to talk about a sustainable future. And that really resonated with me. So I ended up moving high schools for year 11 and 12, where I was able to focus on geography, focus on um, biology, I did do chemistry, didn't like it, drama, and then really just English and math. So Um, Yeah, I was pretty set up at that point in time, Um, going into year 12 and making those decisions about what to do at university. I was a little bit of a homebody, like I liked my friends and my family and where I was living on the Central Coast. And so the prospect of moving away and being that independent um, agent didn't really appeal to me. So I actually found a degree at the University of Newcastle, which had a small campus on the Central Coast called Sustainable Resource Management. So I ended up applying and getting into that. Went straight into uni um, and that to me, I find it very hard to endorse going straight from high school into uni because what <laughs> happened was, I went really sort of half-arsed into that. Yeah. Was kind of had one eye on the horizon. Like I've got to get away, I've got to go and experience life. So ended up sort of delaying my studies, taking a bit of a break and then going traveling. And that to me was probably the start of the, you know, the adult team, like once I'd gone and traveled the world and seen the complexity of how particularly developing nations interact with the planet, that's when my mind started going, okay, this sustainability thing that you think you want to work on, it's so much bigger than anything you ever knew. Yeah. And so that then gave me the fuel to come back into my studies,
0: finish my degree. And I was like, right, now I'm ready to work in the sustainability field. Okay, amazing. And you spoke a little bit about um, you doing a bit of drama. Yeah. Was there a little uh, little inkling in you wanting to become like an actor or something or was that like your way to uh, freely express yourself? It must have been.
1: I think even as a young kid, you know, I was happy to be the one to try and get the attention and be a bit of a show-off. And so <laughs> drama to me, it just felt fun to be able to um, step outside of those barricades that sort of try and hold you in and this is this is who you're supposed to be particularly I suppose around you know your friends and peers at school older people it was always felt like you know fit in conform and then you went into that drama room and you were just allowed to do whatever the hell you wanted to yeah and so for me that was great I never really followed up on it I went into like maybe one play when I was um, in year 11 Um, but yeah it didn't really happen beyond that but then other parts of my career, I've been able to channel that, obviously presenting on stage is huge, so I can yeah. actually you know, almost take on a character in order to be a strong um, voice on stage. Um, but also, I was a tour guide as well. In my early to mid-twenties, I did a bit of tour guiding, and that was you know, wow. having to get up in front of a, a bus of 50 backpackers and be <laughs> that guy. I was a surf instructor, yeah, yeah, so I had to be that guy, and so that's, that's, that's acting as well. Yeah, did you have some uh, funny stories in those days? Oh, probably yeah. I mean, too many to to go through. I, I essentially just did two summers, so it wasn't like a it was a long stint. But yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a wild, wild time of my life. But really, one in which I think I, I sort of found out who who I really was at that point in time. Mm. There was things about the job and particularly uh, about sort of the, you know, the freedom of it and the sort of raucousness of it that was kind of like okay, that's cool to know that exists, but. I know where my my line is and i'm not feeling like i want to go over there any further so mm. yeah it was a good time but i think to sort of you know express any of that sort of stuff that i had wanted to achieve as a young person and then by the time that was concluded i did a little bit more traveling had a great relationship with um, a partner who was from sweden that took me on some even greater um adventures and exposure to mm. environmental issues so once that sort of really concluded, that's pretty much at the time when I was ripe and ready to to stick my stake in the ground and, and do something meaningful and purposeful, which is that's essentially two thousand and nine when when Take Three for the Sea started.
0: Yeah, amazing. So you did this almost you know exploring phase, trying through trying new things, all that kind of stuff, and it led you back to the uh, Take Three for the Sea, which is you know quite beautiful in that sense, all the sustainability and stuff like that. So. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how it all started? Yeah. About Take 3 for the Sea who don't know it out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I suppose the interesting part of this is that, you know, 2009 when Take 3 for the Sea started, you know, I was 29 years old. And so in many ways, there was plenty of years before that where it was kind of like half of my body and my heart was saying, this is great. Like keep living, keep building who you are as an individual because it's only going to pay dividends when it's time. the other half was saying like gee is is my thing really going to come and I always had this fallback that I'd go and do a bachelor of education and become a teacher which I probably could have easily have done but yeah lo and behold take three for the sea you know I found it and it found me um I was feeling a lot of um desire to work on this problem of pollution because I'd just seen so much of it through
0: travels yeah especially in
1: Yeah, Indonesia, India, um, all around Southeast Asia. They were the really main places where I encountered it. Mm. Um, But yeah, so I was back on the east coast of Australia doing a lovely old road trip from Newcastle to Byron, um, camped out near Crescent Head and had an inspiring encounter with Dave Rastovich when, so 2009, he was doing some activism around The documentary the cove which looked at the slaughter of dolphins in uh, taiji in japan and so he was doing a sort of Hobie cat sort of kayak sailing voyage from byron bay to bondi Mm. to sort of raise awareness about what was happening there show the documentary in communities and try and bring fellow surfers on the journey with him that's amazing so i didn't know he was even doing it Mm. um obviously dave rastovich at that time was probably one of my favorite surfers He just the way he embodied that freedom immense skill but also this passion for, for, yeah, for the I environment
0: clips of him in high school rasta yeah
1: incredible so anyway um he rocked up and there was it was obviously supported by billabong and all these other partners and they were making a documentary so there was all this sort of fanfare that sort of um swept over the the campground and yeah we just went and said hello and met the crew and ended up sitting around the campfire that night there was some really incredible Individuals from conservation, from creatives and music to incredible professional surfers. And I just sort of was there. And by the end of that, we, you know, everyone camped at that night. The next day, we all went for a surf together. And then they went off from the rest of their voyage. And I was like, what's stopping me from like standing for something like Dave standing for? Like, he's just mm. a guy. Sure, he's a brilliant surfer, but he's, he's just someone. And mm. so when that tour, came down to my, um, my home sort of country on the central coast to a Beach Cinema, I, I said, look, I want to get up on the stage and say something. Wow. And so I got up on the stage and I said, I got inspired by Dave and the crew by what they're doing. I care deeply about keeping our beaches free from plastic because it's a big problem that's growing. Mm. Um, who will join me? And I don't know, I mean, obviously everyone was like, yay, well done, rad, Tim. It wasn't like the floodgates opened and everyone was saying, yeah, let's go and do it. But thankfully someone in the audience was Next Door Neighbours with Mandy. And Mandy and Roberta are the other two co-founders of Take3. And so I was introduced to them immediately. Within a week, I was having a cup of tea um, with Mandy and Roberta and they shared this idea of Take3, a clean beach initiative. So that essentially distilled down the problem themselves and said, well, a great solution would be if everyone just picked up three pieces of plastic every time they left the beach. And mm. I was like, there we go. There's an idea that's already formed. Okay. So that's why the three. That's why the three. And yeah. so they um, basically you know, said, we've got an idea, but we don't know how to do anything with this. And so at that stage, I was getting quite into storytelling and digital media and trying to create docos and stuff. So I said, oh, I'll make a documentary for you. Um, So that's what I did. I spent the summer um, making the doco and then we launched it at the same picture theater um, for International Surfing Day the next year. And that was when we were official. We were an organization. So essentially, Take Three for the Sea, non-profit organization, focus on inspiration and education and participation. And we have a call to action that you take three bits of trash when you leave a beach or a park or a desert or a forest or a mountain anywhere um, and that's grown quite significantly online, on social, take three for the seed is the hashtag. But as a charity, we, we work with partners and we receive donations to then go and deliver education programs. So we go into okay. schools, surf clubs and communities to really try and instill in
0: the next generation the uh, the power to be the change that they wanna see in the world. 100% and I think it's just like, it's such a big global issue and like a lot of people can be like, oh, you know, what what's my little difference? I can't I can't do anything. But like you're saying, if you can just pick up three pieces of rubbish every time you go to the beach, especially living in such a water loving nation, then it just all adds up, and you just can't have that mindset where you're like, oh, you know, can't do anything. I'm just going to give up. Just pick up three pieces every time you go to the beach. I reckon it's a beautiful little um idea in that aspect. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges you face? Yeah. Look. Um starting i did a podcast with
1: somebody the other day and Mm. he made a really interesting observation that you know starting a non-profit organization isn't hard like you can just go and fill out some forms and say hey look at me i've got a non-profit organization yeah but then building it and maintaining it that's hard right because funding yeah we know that you know, if you're a business you generally have a product or a service that you put a price on and you make that price relevant enough so if you sell enough you get enough money to grow the business and the business grows mm. a nonprofit organization is uh, is quite different in the sense that you know you can apply for grants so we got in the early days grants from the government our first grant was from Taronga Zoo and so really good but generally grants have very very strict criteria Of what you need to do to um, deliver the outcomes of the grant and very rarely do they pay people so as an organization we didn't really pay ourselves for many many years it wasn't until probably you know 2015 that we started really paying ourselves so we had to be very adaptive Um, thankfully I was going through this phase of just being so driven on the end goal, that sort of nothing else mattered. So I was able to live really frugally and really simply and, you know, just do whatever it took to sustain my desire to keep going. So yeah. that was definitely a huge challenge. Um, obviously, having other co founders. So, you know, it's not just you who sits in the decision makers' chair. You've got a collaborative um, input from three people. So that can be hard, right? You've all yeah, got to use It's unify. like another relationship. It really is. So mm. you'll obviously have every story of a business success or failure will include a conversation about what the partnership was like and the best businesses out there just have the most phenomenal relationship between those Mm. partners they might not always like each other but they have those right compatible strengths and weaknesses so that was hard Um, yeah I think there's definitely lots of challenges but the great thing is I mean back at 2009 when we started We were one of the first to market, if you want to use that term, with this idea of, hey, plastic equals bad, do something about it. Fast forward to 2020, it's a mainstream issue now. So we've been able to ride that wave of global awareness around a problem and pretty much the simplest of solutions. Hey, I know it's bad, but just start by taking three for the seat. So it's been, you know, I can't imagine. And I've seen many other organisations that were around when we started, that haven't made it through. So yeah, it does yeah. take a special kind of people, a group, collective message,
0: model. It takes a lot of special ingredients to to get it to work. Yeah, which you have. You obviously at the eleven year mark now, and Crazy. Um, yeah. So you were telling me a little bit about before you got this new exciting venture. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, sure. So yeah, after ten years of building the organisation, so over the last sort of eighteen months to two years. I've been thinking increasingly about, okay, like you've just given 10 years of your life and pretty much what many would say some of your best career years. my entire 30s have been invested in building the organisation. And as you can tell, stoked. I'm really happy (laughs) with what it's achieved. But I've been thinking, well, what next? Like I'm not going to be the CEO of Take 3 Forever. So what's going to come next? And so just in this last sort of year, year and four months, I've been really actively working on a new idea for a new project. And it's been... Uh, tested and refined and there's been iteration after iteration but now we're finally ready to launch so check out ocean impact organization so the instagram handle will be ocean impact org Um, and this is a new approach to me where i've joined forces with a business partner Uh, it's a non-profit organization initially but this partner comes from the more capitalist side he's a chartered accountant he's helped accelerate Um, financial security software from zero to 300 million dollar valuation so he fits this sort of um, the kind of corporate successful startup guy Now I'm over the other end of the spectrum doing all this passion purpose trying to further the state of the oceans and we've met in the middle and we've launched a what we're calling Australia's first ocean impact accelerator and startup ecosystem so we're essentially trying to find those people that have got brilliant ideas that can help improve the state of the world's oceans and find out if they're going to succeed, let's help them succeed fast. If they're going to fail, let's help them fail fast. So basically taking that proven yeah. accelerator model yeah. branding it all around creating a positive impact on the ocean. Yeah, wow.
0: So are you like going to offer mentorship or yep. what does it entail? Like do you offer financial investment? Is it?
1: Yep, what? That's, um, that's basically all on the table at the moment. So we recognize that we need to develop this ecosystem. All the components in Australia exist and they certainly exist internationally. So we need to be the glue that binds it all together. So if you're someone who's got a great idea, if you're a founder, you're an entrepreneur Mm. and you think you've got what it takes, then you'd register your interest. If you're a mentor, if you're working in this field, maybe you've got some real speciality in seaweed growing or how to improve efficiency in ocean transportation or aquaculture, then you'd register your interest. Okay. And where it obviously gets really interesting is, well, who are those investors that want to be shifting some of their, um, their funds away from traditional investment into impact investment? Because at the end of the day, like our goals are to accelerate 100 startups in five years. But the bigger goal is to shift 100 million dollars into this sector. And ultimately, in five, 10, 20 years time, the measure of our success will be how much money we've been able to shift across. Because we all know that money makes the world go around and we all know that the world is in a pretty precarious state with how we're treating the planet. So if we can shift that money (laughs) into regenerative, restorative, genuinely impact-focused businesses, then I think we can have a sustainable future. If we can't, we're still going to have these same problems in 10, 20 years' time.
0: Yeah, interesting. You're almost like the connector of all these great organizations that want to create good change in the world and collectively like having a bigger presence instead of all being like competitors in a sense. And then you guys just create more impact because I guess the more people you got in the same wavelength, the more people you can impact. Is that the whole...
1: Yeah, and I guess the idea is that you know it starts with the people, the the founders, the entrepreneurs, because every great business um, starts with those individuals who've got the power and the tenacity to um, to push through. But then it's about that support network around them. Who are those yeah. mentors? where is that funding gonna come from to allow their organization, their idea, to either succeed or to fail. And failure isn't a bad thing, it just has to be a learning curve to get you to the next iteration of where you wanna go. Um, so, yeah, it's gonna be wild for me. And like the big, the big thing for me and what got me here is this sort of feeling that we cannot keep relying upon society, like it's this, it's the idea that it's all about the people, like, oh, there's a problem in the world, charities or individuals will band together to fix it while business still keeps doing what they're doing mm. and government is just like glacial movement slowness because business isn't actually encouraging them to change so if we can actually build a new generation of businesses that are disruptive by nature then we can make the big businesses move a lot faster because they'll move when they're threatened yeah okay. and then once these new generation of businesses mm. have started to get market share and showed a new way of doing things then politics will start to serve their interests. Yeah. So it's a long play here, yeah. but it's 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 big and it's bold and it's bodacious. But to me, that's great because I want to feel as excited about the next decade as I did when I started Take Three when I was thirty. Yeah, okay. And I feel that I'm turning forty this year, and I realise that this decade is going to be all about business leadership for me.
0: Yeah, you need that audacious goal to keep you going, get you excited. No, that's really cool because I I can see that in like the fact that you know governments. It's, it's just like a Muppet show. They're just there. There's a bigger power that's controlling them with what they can invest in. And, you know, obviously with, with the fires recently, like taking all the water from the Artesian Basin, like these huge companies, and then it's sucking up all the water. And then it's just like the media just portraying it as these fires. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's pretty sad. It is aspect. sad.
1: Serving, um, we have to stamp out the influence of, of big business, um, and powerful figures in politics because it's meant to be a democracy and of course we, that is the case we do live in a democracy and there's a lot of improvements we can make to how we as citizens and constituents can influence our, our members to, to, um, to represent us mm. but I feel like there's also that's the sort of the bottom up there also sort of needs to be this top down and the, the quickest way to influence that top down is to make it profitable <laughs> we talk about in our sort of vision modeling for ocean impact organization or we call it oio um is to say that we need to move the prospect that sustainability is some sort of cost or a compromise a lot of businesses out there right now saying oh i'd love to be more sustainable but that's going to cost me more i've got to make compromises yeah screw that we need to make sustainability equal profitability and Mm. if we can change that dynamic then everyone will be sustainable Exactly. That's the idea. we don't want people to be sustainable because they feel they have to we want sustainability to be just common practice
0: mm. yeah it's going to be the next next 10 years hopefully we'll see that change
1: yeah i'm keen to try
0: let's do it <laughs> um so the last sort of segment it's like all things personal development what do you do on a, a day-to-day basis that sort of keeps you in that you know um, entrepreneurial mindset of always having to grow and always having to you know make big decisions. Do you have like a morning routine or something? Like what do you do? Yeah, look. Um, where I live on the northern beaches of Sydney is sort of
1: my new home. I've been living there for eighteen months, and it is a much deeper connection to nature, which assimilates a lot more with what I grew up with. So I grew up in mm. the bush and had really all that inspiration of nature around me. So. That's probably the first element that kind of sustains me is just being able to go and tap out, absorb all that energy from the natural environment, from the ocean, from just quiet time with my wife and my, um, you know, my friends and my family. Um, and then it's about sort of then you know, chucking on that jacket and then going into the space. But admittedly, I'm in a really, you can imagine, a huge transitional phase right now. And so this new endeavor, which I've only been really giving one or two days a week energy to for the last six Mm. months, is going to flip over completely um, to be uh, my full-time gig from the start of March. So that's exciting to me. I'm really ready to to jump right in feet first. We've got an office space in Manly, um, right by the ocean. There's great surf. There's a marine sanctuary in Cabbage Tree Bay. So one of the things that I'm going to be doing with my podcast, the ocean impact podcast is mm. getting guests to go out for a surf or a snorkel or a walk oh, around the ocean, feel all that positive energy from it. Yeah. And then articulate why they're so passionate about creating that change. Yeah. So obviously surfing, um, just keeping my connection to the ocean alive. Um, like I said, friends and family and just yeah, having a really, it's important for me to have a very balanced relationship mm. with work. I think, particularly when you're sort of doing a lot like I have for very little sort of financial return with the non-profit space. Yeah. It's just really important that you fill your cup elsewhere.
0: 100%. I read this um, good thing like where if everything goes to shit and you can find happiness in like free things, like for example, you know, surfing, it's pretty much free apart from maybe having to pay for parking or something like that. Um, if you can find happiness in that, then like no matter what happens, then you can always seek that happiness. And obviously, surfing, you always feel good coming out of it. <laughs> you My very very bad surf. Yeah, well. yeah, that's it. But um, I like how you're speaking about your podcast. How you wanna. You know, sort of get people into nature before they come on, so they're obviously in that grounded state. They're they're feeling alive. They're feeling energized. Well, we pretty much did that this one, didn't we? We did. Yeah, well, I think we were surfing, you know, maybe a 100, 150 meters apart from each yeah. other, yeah. getting a few drainers. Yeah, it was pumping at Byron. So <laughs> if you're around, come to Byron. Um. So yeah, you're speaking about your morning routine do that? Do you read any books or podcasts? Do you seek any inspiration or you're pretty much like you're on your path and it's you can sometimes get a bit distracted from that stuff?
1: Yeah, look, I've got lots of books on the go at the moment. Um, I'm obviously having to do a huge amount of upskilling in business and startup mm-hmm. uh, acceleration. So a lot of my books are kind of um, evolving from what would be my normal sort of go-tos, which would be sort of big thinking philosophical approaches to sustainability. So looking at those leaders in that space and probably going a bit more across to some more niche uh, areas where people are talking about specifics related to the ocean. So okay. reading a really interesting book at the moment called The Outlaw Ocean um, by a guy called Ian Urbina, who he spent five years funded by the New York Times to go out and actually explore their various um, activities things that were happening on the ocean all essentially illegal so he starts with sea shepherd vessel that um, took it upon themselves to go and stop the illegal poaching of patagonian toothfish and went on the longest chase um, ever where the sea shepherd vessel chased this illegal fishing vessel all around the world wow Um, he looks into all sorts of interesting things there so that's pretty good but um yeah all the startup stuff is 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 where I'm sort of wearing on my sleeve that like, hey, I'm over here, I'm now gonna go and play in the startup space, but I'm here as the passionate environmentalist, so go, go easy on me, because I've actually yeah. got to learn so much. But um, that's why it's nice to have a partner
0: mm. who's so familiar with that with that particular part of the landscape. Yeah, and we keep growing, never stop growing. Never um, growing. Have you read this book called 438 Days of Sea? No it's a good book it's like how this guy survived 438 days at sea he was like a mexican um fisherman Uh uh-huh and um he basically got swept out sea he's with a crewman 150 days in the crewman like commits suicide just jumps overboard because it's all mental like Mm -hmm. you gotta make yourself not go crazy he's drinking like turtle blood all this stuff i I won't spoil it too much I remember much. the media stories around that guy yeah. it was surreal it was amazing like the fact that he can last 438 days at sea it, it says something but yeah like my big vision in like 4 years I want to um, sail around the world and I've sort of envisioned something happening where I like I crash the boat gonna have to survive 10 days at sea and I feel like that's gonna like grow me into the person I want to be like you know that traumatic experience and you know um, I'll sort of be like not fearless, but like I don't know. I Confident. I can, yeah, I just want to experience something like that. Mm. But yeah, because I was I was doing this meditation, I visualized it, so got to do it. <laughs> awesome. If someone else can do four hundred and thirty eight, you can do ten. Yeah, exactly. And I'll probably you know, who knows what will happen, but that's what excites me. I think that's why I keep getting drawn to the ocean with surfing and everything like that. It's always going to be a new wave. it's always going to be new conditions i don't mm. know if you're the same like do you like something new all the time or i just like feeling vulnerable
1: and i like the reality check that we as humans think we're all that and the universe mm. revolves around us and you go out into a wild ocean and that gets washed away pretty quickly yes yeah, so you so realize you're you literally just a speck of stardust in mm. something that is so much bigger than you yeah and that to me, I think is sort of gets right down to the crux of the challenges we have about developing this idealistic, sustainable relationship with our planet. Cause at the moment we're just so ego centered and just so selfish. And mm. those people out there like indigenous cultures who've been able to realize that we are all one together that, you know, you have to integrate and you have to have an intimate regenerative relationship with the space that sustains yeah. you if we can tap into that then we'll be okay
0: if we can't then we'll get flicked off this planet like a flea on a dog's back 100% like the indigenous have been around longer than us like they're doing something right in the aspect that like they understand like the nature and everything like that because I know living in Byron there's there's been a few people that have come in and they've told me a lot about the indigenous ways of living and all that kind of stuff and it's so unique like i'm i'm very shocked that there wasn't a high emphasis in the schooling system to be educated around it and like their ways of living like for example doing a you know a five-day stint out in the middle of australia like experiencing something like that that would be almost life-changing for some people to see what they've done and the trauma that they've gone through with you know what it was called when they they got stripped of all their families taken stolen away generation. stolen generation like the trauma that kept getting passed on and passed on it's just like mm. it's not like being oh I feel so bad for them it's like actually sympathizing and showing empathy that mm. hey like that's what they've had gone through and like learning from them in that aspect I reckon that'd be huge would you mm. ever like do anything like that like have you ever been out to middle Australia or experienced mm. something like that
1: Um, no, I mean, I I don't think I've, if I have had rich interactions with, um, with Indigenous Australians, first Australians, they've been like, they've been great, they've been profound, but I think I could go so much deeper. And I think what you're getting at, the idea that there needs to be a much, um, yeah, there must be a deeper cultural appreciation of the meeting points of these, um, two very different cultures and civilizations and Mm. to your point before about what happens in the Australian schooling system and the the, you know the this has been sort of terrible that we haven't found better ways of educating young people about the rich history of Australia before it was colonized so I don't know where it's effective yet but I know that Bruce Pascoe's book Dark Emu was being spoken about as it would start to be part of the Mm. curriculum but so it should man that that book is is crazy for rewriting dark how, you. dark emu okay yeah. I'm,
0: gonna, I'm gonna write that down i'll get that book
1: yeah and lots of everyone talking now about on the back of the australian bushfires in the summer of 1920 um you know we need to even just look at how we we manage our land you know there's people that lived here for 40 to 60 thousand years before us and they had a relationship where they managed the land through fire, and mm. we've just sort of pushed that under the rug and said, Oh, no, we can do better than that, we'll just do it our way. And then you realize all it takes is some extreme, consistent dry weather, and the whole thing just goes up, and it's absolutely devastating. So, we just have to go back to, um, yeah, our traditional owners of this land and, and learn from them,
0: for sure. hundred percent. And definitely I see it in, like, society, like, when I was back at school, like, all, all my mates, and including myself, like, I'm not going to lie, when I was back in that little bubble of, you know, private school, you know, very privileged upbringing, you, and then you see these Indigenous people getting scholarships, and it's almost like this, they've built this, like, almost, um, I guess disregard and social disconnection from the indigenous and the, the white people I guess in that aspect of you know you feel like oh why are they getting more scholarships they're getting more scholarships than you know what we get given but then like the opportunities and all that kind of stuff it just creates this like hate between each other and I think if you can get rid of that and then like just recreate how people have like the media perceives them or the schooling system perceives them, then I think it'd it create bigger things and there'd be more like connection with each other and bigger ideas, like actually learning from them in that aspect.
1: Yeah, we've got a great deal of work to do there. And mm. um, yeah, as much, I think it does start with connection. Um, and this can almost sort of come back a little bit to where Take Three for the Sea sort of has got to after 10 years and where yeah. it's heading is that, Unless you can create connection and actually cut through all the noise. For us, we like to think about the act of picking up plastic from beaches and from the environment as saying, you know, almost like I'm connected to you. I know this doesn't belong here. I'm going to be the one to take it away. And the same thing, right? If we've got these terrible space between cultures existing, then who's going to be those people that are going to create that connection from from that connection be it an individual or a group or you know a political agreement whatever it might be once you have that connection and everything else can build around that mm. so the idea of connection i think is is so critical
0: connection collaboration that's why you know we'll do big things in the world amazing well um lastly tim if you had to give any advice to any sort of you know young people out there what would be one thing you wish you knew when you were like 20 or you know around that younger
1: age I was going to say travel, travel. I, think that, yeah. um, I think travel is just so essential and I've just met so many people throughout my life that the spark that ignited the fire which turned into the raging inferno particularly around passion started from exposure to travel it's the the fact you go out and you you put yourself into this risky situation there's all that uh you know fear vulnerability but it just provides the most incredible um you know intersect of you know who you are and who you want to be in future so pretty simple travel
0: amazing i like that um and if anyone's looking to reach out to you through social media or take through the sea what are the um channels
1: yep i can rattle them all off so i'm tim silverwood and just type that in for any sources take three for the sea you'll find that and then the new one is ocean impact organization so it's um ocean impact.org and then ocean on socials
0: yeah i was so fascinated by that chat with tim and how he started take three for the sea uh, i learned a lot and a book that i'll definitely be reading is the dark emu he spoke highly of that and if you are uh, ever at the beach, um, even if you're at the beach right now, pick up three pieces of paper. It's such a small little thing but it always adds up and the less rubbish we have in the oceans, the better the ecosystem is going to be so it's um, a very feel-good podcast and I hope you guys enjoyed it and if you want to find out more about Tim, then I'll put some links in the uh, description or the comment or whatever it's called and i hope you guys enjoyed this podcast tune in next time as i interview the honey badger this is going to be an absolute awesome podcast and we go deep on his spiritual sense and what he's doing um, for the world and men in particular and it's an amazing story And I can't wait to share it with you guys. So thanks again for joining in on the Dills Journey podcast. Uh, Remember, do something today for your tomorrow self. You.